0: That's the nonconformist part. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough. And to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D-S-T-L-D, you get like brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D. LD.com right now, and use a promo code FERAL, and check out and get a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distill.com D-S-T-L-D Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I am Matt Dwyer. Self-explanatory, really. I always say that, but then it's like, who the fuck else would I be? <laughs> <laughs> kind of doesn't make sense. Um, that music you hear there, that's uh, Les Blanks. If uh, you like to go to lesblanks.com. Buy some more of their stuff. They might even have some free stuff there. And I always say that, but I should maybe look and see if there is, and then I can stop saying that or keep saying it. But I'm lazy, everybody. Do you know how hard it is to type in lesblanks.com? It's tough. It's my fingers. They're very... Uh, Heavy. <laughs> uh, if you haven't listened to this show before, uh, it is just exactly what uh, the title says there. It's a conversation with me, this guy. And uh, it's more of just like a free-for-all conversation, not a question-and-answer sort of uh, tedious interview. And uh, uh, actually, this uh, interview today, conversation, is uh, with Will Potter. Uh, he's uh, a author and an independent journalist. He wrote this book called Green is the New Red. Uh, which I have read, and it's it's very good, and it goes into about how certain groups in this country, activist groups, are being labeled as terrorists when neo Nazis and um, guys who kill abortion doctors aren't. <laughs> uh, it tends to be the uh, activist groups that uh, screw with um, corporate profit. It's a, it's a really great book and uh, there's some very upsetting things. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the subject matter has, of his book and has to do with this uh, fundraiser that I'm doing with uh, Josh Andronowski. Uh, we're doing a comedy show uh, for these uh, g- a couple of kids up in Seattle who actually were f- uh, pulled into a grand jury where you couldn't plead the f- where they couldn't plead the fifth. And so, and they found out that the grand jury summons was written up two months before this supposed uh, act of um, vandalism happened. Uh, So they refused to uh, cooperate, and they're in jail, and they're young, and they shouldn't be in jail, and it's really absurd. Uh, The show is called Contempt. We Speak So They Don't Have To. Catchy, isn't it? It's a pretty good title. Uh, That's Josh's. I don't come up with things (laughs) that clever. And uh, it is at the uh, Little Modern Theater, Tuesday, November 13th, 9 p.m., Uh, And that's in uh, Santa Monica there. It's at 6474 Santa Monica in Hollywood, California there. Brendan Walsh, uh, Matt Bronger, Laura Keitlinger, John Vargas, Will Weldon, myself, Josh. It's going to be a super-duper comedy show, and uh, you should super-duper check that shit out. All right? And, uh, hey, this show comes out on Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. You know, the great thing about uh, Halloween in Los Angeles is uh, watching all those frustrated actors who just won't drop fucking character of their costume. <laughs> and uh, a lot of zombie costumes I've seen this over the weekend there was uh, that's when most of the Halloween festivities happened. And zombies, just everybody's zombie crazy these days. It's uh I don't dress up for Halloween. In fact, I barely leave my apartment. So <laughs> if I did, I'd just be like uh like walking around my apartment with my dog dressed up as Frankenstein. No one's really going to see it because uh, that's the great thing about doing this podcast. I I, I get on the phone. I call guys like Will Potter. I have a conversation. Job's done. I can do it in my my underwear. I could do it, you know, dressed in night armor. Who's going to know? Nobody. Nobody's going to know. And we got the election coming up. So ready for that to be over. So ready for it to be over. Unless, you know you know i i'm uh, i'm i'm supporting the green party mostly because it's like i th- i feel there should be uh, support if for third p- uh, parties and plus also romney's not going to win california so i don't feel like i'm taking a big gamble <laughs> you know which sums up my entire life right there you know uh just uh just you know taking a slight risk but not really being too too crazy with it just playing it kind of safe edgy <laughs> i'm safe edgy everybody but uh if if Romney wins the depression the fit of depression, it will be it'll be uh, everybody. You're gonna, I'll be out of the apartment because I'll be screaming drunk, like naked on my street, like holding a meat cleaver in one hand and wearing a diaper or something <laughs> on my head. <laughs> it's gonna. I will mentally snap if I have to. If I have to, you know why I think abortion should be legal. Uh, because then maybe guys like Paul Ryan could have been taken out of the equation. That's all I'm saying. Wouldn't that you know, if his mom and Romney's mom would have uh, been you know pro-choice, this would be a, a much better election uh, going on right about now um let's <laughs> let's uh, talk to uh, let's get into that conversation here with uh, will Potter. Uh, he's a pretty super duper awesome guy. Enjoy. Uh I do want to say that I really uh I've been enjoying your book uh a great deal. Oh, thank you. Uh it also makes one want to uh throw shit around their apartment because it's there's some pretty infuriating
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's uh, some pretty infuriating uh um tales in there and 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 details as well as uh also i've your your blog has become a, a regular on my my morning readings um and especially and i i kind of want to start talking about it just to because it a lot of what you talk about in your book is kind of currently happening and it's probably happening more so that maybe i'm unaware of but the situation up in seattle right with um I, is it, is her, it's Leah Plant, Matt Duran, and I'm going to need help with, is it Clito Olingenik?
1: <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to pronounce her last name either, but it's, uh, she goes by KDO.
0: KDO, okay. Maybe it would help her legal defense if she changed her name to something like Margaret Smith, you know, something. <laughs> 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 something. Just you know, easy. a little catchier. Yeah. Um... But that story is, uh, they well, Leah, Leah's recently been released. Do you have any information about that? or
1: Not very much other than, I mean, I actually was out in the Northwest for some speaking events. I just got back uh, yesterday, and, and not many people knew about her being released, and then they put out this uh, statement. So unfortunately, I really don't have any details beyond that. Um, she got out a few days ago.
0: Yes, and they were – they were. this is a – it's really – I guess I was semi-unaware of this, or I, you just kind of think that maybe we got better. But they were subpoenaed into a grand jury for uh, – the was it the May Day riots in Seattle? Is that what it was? That called? was
1: the uh, – ostensibly, that's what it was regarding. I mean, uh, as a little bit of background, there were a series of raids that happened in uh, multiple cities in the northwest. Uh Among the information that was listed on the search warrants were things like anarchist literature and anti-government literature, black clothing, flags. And based on that information and also some statements by police officers at the scenes and also some statements by prosecutors to the uh, attorneys of people who have been subpoenaed, a lot of folks thought this was all regarding these May Day protests in Seattle in which some bank windows were broken and courthouse um, was vandalized. It turns out, it really doesn't seem like there's a direct connection at all. The grand jury was impaneled long before the May Day protests even happened. And now it's really, I think quite clear that this is more of a fishing expedition, which is how grand juries have been used against social movements for decades.
0: Uh, yeah, that's the one thing I read is that the the summons was written up two months prior to the 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 vandalism, and it's not even a hundred percent sure if if they were even there or involved in that. It's just sort of a
1: well, according to the prosecutors, there's no attempt to say that they were there. I mean, that's not an allegation at all, that uh, any of these individuals who were subpoenaed were actually at the protest. They're saying that they might have information about it. Um, it's you know, kind of the public statement about this.
0: And and that's it's the thing that is most... It's like they can't plead the fifth, so if you're pulled into a grand jury, you have no rights. All your rights are completely wiped away. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. And that, that's shocking to a lot of people who, maybe through too many Law and Order episodes or whatever, we, you know, we tend to think that the the right to plead the Fifth is this uh, eternal, you know, ever-present right that no matter what legal situation you're in, that something can say. But in grand juries, not only can you not plead the Fifth, you can't plead the First Amendment, um, which not many people know about. Uh, you know, it's an opportunity to do in in some uh, court proceedings, but. In other words, to argue that you have a First Amendment right not to talk about your beliefs and about the people you associate with, your freedoms to uh, freedom of speech and freedom of association. And so you can't claim either of those things. And if you do, um, you can get thrown into jail for contempt. And if you continue to refuse, you can actually be imprisoned for the entire term of the grand jury, which is often about 18 months.
0: And so – I'm gonna screw up her name again. Is it Cleto? Is that what she goes by, or is it Cato? KDO. Cato. Okay. And 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 Matt Durant, they've already been in for about a. Mm, is it been a month yet, or is it a little less than a month? A
1: little bit less. It's about two weeks now, I think.
0: And have they been given like how long are they expected to be in prison?
1: That's the danger of grand juries is that this is an ongoing uh, threat and it, you know, really the purpose of imprisoning someone for refusing to cooperate with a grand jury is to do so until they decide to provide information. In other words, if it gets to the point where it's clear that they're not going to cooperate under any terms, um, the government should not continue holding them and that's kind of how this process works. That being said, there's no set rules about how that happens. Um, You know, they may decide in a couple weeks that these activists aren't going to provide any information. They may decide in uh, tomorrow that this is a waste of their time and their energy to try to go after these people, or they may end up holding them for a, a very lengthy time. I mean, there's an animal rights activist out in Utah named Jordan Halliday, who was actually imprisoned twice, once for civil contempt and again for criminal contempt, for refusing to cooperate, and that was really the first time, through my research, it seems like the first time that that's happened in over 30 years since the Puerto Rican independence movement, grand juries. Uh,
0: and. I mean in essence they're prob- they're using these kids in Seattle or the the other ones and I, and I do say kids because they're they're young man I mean they're how old are right. they? they look like they're 20 or 21 if Yeah
1: they're all they're all quite young and I don't think that's an accident either um both in how you know the government is is targeting people who it sees as um a little bit more vulnerable, perhaps, or um, less exposed to these issues. I mean, that's sort of my
0: pattern. I mean, we all like to think that if put into this situation, like we, uh, that I would, I would like to think that oh, I'll be brave. And but if if I, I think I read a couple days ago that Matt Duran has been put into general population, and that is in, in general.
1: It's, yeah, that's no joke. And, you know, general population at uh, in county, you know, at SeaTac, which for your listeners who might not know, I mean, the, the smaller jails and uh, prison facilities are actually a lot more volatile than some of the federal facilities where people are doing a longer amount of prison time because when you take away that, uh, you know, that amount of time, People don't have that much incentive to just kind of hunker down and do their time, if that makes sense. But, you know, that being said, Matt uh, issued a statement, I think it was just a couple of days ago, in which he said that uh, a lot of folks were looking at him really skeptically uh, when he was when he first arrived. And then people as they always do in, in jail and in prison started finding out what he was in for and then he refused to cooperate and he refused to talk about his friends and he got a lot of um, respect and a lot of support from the other prisoners who started helping him out, you know, offering him food and uh, you know, everything needs to kind of navigate the, the system.
0: Yeah, uh, I've, I've known, I have uh, some friends who are prison activists and who themselves have done some time and it's not Matt does not seem like a. I know I, if I was put in that situation, I w- it would be. It's terrifying. It's and a lot of people would probably buckle and start naming names, and because it's a that's an intense situation for someone of that age and you know to be thrown into. And it. it I'm sorry. Were you going to say something? Oh no, go ahead. Oh, I just I feel like to an extent that they're using. Them as an example to others to be like, see what can happen to you.
1: That's, I think, precisely what's going on, and it's really about instilling that fear. Because I think another point to note about these three and you know a lot of people that have been subpoenaed to grand juries in general is they're not necessarily, um, you know, out front leading some organization or involved in some really high profile. Organizing. I mean, these are three people that are certainly active in their communities and have very clear political ideas, but in a lot of ways, that could have been anyone. And I think that message uh, comes through loud and clear to people who are paying attention to this, that it really could be anyone who is uh, active on these issues, who's outspoken, who identifies as an anarchist or a dissident. And really in any way and I think that's part of the the message to instill that fear in a very wide group of people
0: and make them think that it could happen to them and it, to an extent it happened to you I mean you were they threatened to label the FBI threatened to label you as a domestic terrorist correct?
1: Right when I uh, my experience with the FBI when I was in Chicago I had been arrested for leafleting uh, some charges that were obviously thrown out of court because we still have a First Amendment right to hang leaflets. Um, but the point <laughs> of that story was really that two FBI agents came to the door a couple of weeks later, and they made a point of saying that they thought I was the uh, the most professional of the group. I mean, I had a, a really great newspaper job at the Chicago Tribune. I had a Fulbright application pending. I had, you know, my girlfriend was applying to PhD programs. I mean, we had a great apartment. They made a point of saying all these things. And then they said, you know, unless you helped us by becoming an informant and in infiltrating animal rights and environmental groups, uh, we'll put you on a domestic terrorist list. And so that, in a lot of ways, was really the start of how I got immersed in these issues and really became obsessed with it.
0: Do you, do you think to a level they still keep an eye on you? Cause...
1: I mean, I've certainly seen that uh, every so often. With We had some uh, Freedom of Information Act documents that came back that showed the counterterrorism unit. was uh, actually had files on my book and on the website, speaking events, Uh, letters I've written to prisoners, um, you know, media interviews I've given, articles I've written, you know, pretty lengthy stuff. And we're also engaged in some litigation right now to try to get uh, FBI files that the FBI is refusing to disclose about my website and about my book. So, you know, it's certainly there and it's not to, I'm not trying to, Say any of that is on par with what these people out in the northwest are experiencing by any means. It's just kind of part and parcel with the same tactics.
0: And a lot of this with the environmental and the animal rights groups is 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 corporate sort of. It's it's absolutely. I mean, I was reading about. I mean, they. Uh, I'm. Uh, I can't, I don't think it was Elf. It was a shack that pretty much took a company off of of the stock exchange like they hurt them that much that they That's right. I mean that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and they didn't do anything they uh, I mean I greatly respect that. That's like fuck yeah, get those motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like they and they didn't do anything it was all pretty non violent, correct? It was all like shutting like overloading their faxes and they didn't
1: well, It was definitely nonviolent, but it it was certainly controversial. I mean, uh, kind of a quick summary of the campaign is that there is this notorious uh, animal testing lab called Hunting and Life Sciences, and it was the target of an international campaign. And the way the campaign worked was kind of like the anti apartheid movement in which activists said, you know what, These, these labs really don't care at all if people boycott them or protest outside their gates. What they do care about is when they're not able to do business. And so they targeted, you know, FedEx, Kinko's insurance providers, toilet paper suppliers, you know, even the smallest businesses that are necessary to keep the lab running. And it was the logic that Huntington desperately needed all of these uh, third-party businesses, corporations, but none of them needed Huntington. I mean, they were just, Huntington was one of thousands of companies on their payrolls. So one by one, they started dropping, and yeah, they dropped – they got to the point where Honeymoon was delisted from the New York Stock Exchange, which is an incredible feat. And they also supported a wider range of tactics like home protest, um, civil disobedience, electronic civil disobedience, and they also supported – In their words, direct action like people stealing animals out of laboratories, breaking windows, vandalizing offices, things like that. So the government argued that was all one big conspiracy, that these people didn't actually do any of those crimes, but by their words and their website and vocally supporting it, it created a conspiracy and that amounted to uh, animal enterprise terrorism.
0: That's, uh, a load of bullshit. <laughs> it's like, I mean, they're saying like, you, I mean, that's, like, that's like, then, then, you know, uh, in essence, Camel Cigarettes is a terrorist, because Camel Joe in, in, inspired children to smoke cigarettes, so, like, I mean, am I out of line on <laughs> that? It's like, it's all sort of, like, what, what benefits them and their damn profit.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, to take that analogy a little bit further, I mean, there's a long history in First Amendment law in this country in which people have done a whole lot more than that. I mean, in, you know, in the Brandenburg case and NAACP versus Claiborne Hardware in uh, in the South during the civil rights movement, you actually had civil rights activists saying, if we catch any of you people going into uh, stores that are being boycotted, We're going to break your damn necks and this was at a time when there were actually newspapers newsletters being published that listed the names of boycott violators i mean this was a a really intense climate that violence was actually happening so i mean there was more of a tangible threat and the first amendment uh and the supreme court said in a historic case that that's protected um and there are many other cases like that so it's kind of it's strange that uh, when it comes to animal rights activists, all that kind of is, is thrown out the window.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty, and it's weird, I, this is probably in a very obvious observation, but like when it comes to uh, environmental activists, and when they're labeled as terrorists, I'm like, and the oil companies, <laughs> it's like, aren't they actually, right. it's like a weird fucked mentality on... I'm I'm sure that observation uh, has been made a gazillion times, but it's like no one in the public or most people in the public don't view it that way because they've definitely campaigned to make it look otherwise.
1: Well, and also, you know, I think that's important to point out because it's we're in a political climate right now where everybody calls themselves an environmentalist. I mean, I feel like you know, I'm, I'm biking to the office and I get run off the road by people in SUVs with environmental bumper stickers. You know what I mean? Like everybody is like, go green. Everybody's going green. But, and then there's this huge disconnect of who we are holding responsible. And I think that's really what it boils down to me is accountability. And, you know, activists certainly need to be responsible if they commit crimes, but let's have a little perspective about the true nature of the scale of crimes being committed
0: yeah I mean labeling somebody a terrorist and and charging them as a terror like giving them a higher sentence when it's I, I mean it they're not really terrorists if I mean in your book you st- like at one one person had been killed during animal rights protests is or I mean the numbers are incredibly low on that side of things
1: Yeah, actually, in in my research, I haven't found anybody that's been hurt in the United States. And and that's according to the FBI and Homeland Security testimony as well. And, you know, in the scheme of social movements, that's a feat. I mean, that's like, you know, all social movements have a pretty wide range of tactics that take place. But in these movements, it's been fairly narrow because they've never targeted human beings. It's all been you know, either civil disobedience or minor property destruction, or at worst, um, arson, which is a serious crime, but it's just been used against SUVs and empty buildings.
0: And things like the the Animal uh, Animal Enterprise Act is a, it's kind of it's it, these things and the and the other labeling things terrorist. It, it's such a wide and open for interpretation type of thing that, like you were saying even like pacifist groups or people in your book you talk about some people who are just handing out flyers in front of a ham store being observed by the uh FBI and it's like it's just it's just it seems like all this is created so that they can to their benefit so they can just manipulate any situation to sort of f- f- screw with people i'm trying not to say fuck as much <laughs> I feel like I hurt my uh, my my argument sometimes with my foul mouth.
1: Sometimes you just can't help it. But, uh, no, I, I think that's uh, that's exactly what's going on. I mean, when the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act was being uh, debated in Congress, so I was invited to testify at this uh, congressional hearing, and you had members of the committee saying all the, oh, no, 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 no. The law would never be used in any way like that. It's never gonna target protest. It's never gonna target civil disobedience. This is just to go after arsonists. And, you know, that's the rhetoric they're putting out here. And it's total nonsense, because what happens is when you give people in power, more power, they use that power. And that's what we've seen time and again throughout U.S. and and world history. And so with this law, it's, it's so vague and so broad that you know come to find out through a FOIA requests we've seen that the FBI has actually considered terrorism prosecutions under this law of nonviolent undercover investigators. So these are people who just go on to factory farms with a video camera and document some really egregious animal welfare abuses and the FBI has considered that as a, a domestic terrorism
0: prosecution. Uh. That that's absurd. <laughs> I mean it's 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 I, I can't even like I'm and now my dog's barking. Uh, but it's 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 mind numbing to that that they can charge somebody with terrorism for walking around a farm with a camera. I mean it's maybe trespassing. <laughs> it's like that's about as bad as that really is.
1: Right. Well and, and that's part of the the tactics of all of this is it's taking Things that are in some cases already very minor crimes and trying to elevate it and escalate it uh, because of the political nature of the people who are doing it. And so that's why we're seeing these attempts all over the country right now uh, for new state legislation, specifically targeting undercover investigators. Uh, They're being called ag-gag bills, and they go so far as to to criminalize anyone who produces these videos or anyone who possesses them. That
0: just... How, like with the grand jury situation and how long, how is this constitutional? And even that, like the these people having videos or making videos, how is it, and then being held as terrorists, how is that even considered constitutional? It can't be.
1: So that, well, there are two parts, I guess, to that. With the grand jury, is kind of a different animal because... You know, historically, they're really an archaic element of the legal system because they were created um, with the stated purpose of having the grand jury members being kind of a safety valve or a, a check against unwarranted prosecutions. So the grand jury hears evidence and decides whether to go forward with the prosecution. I mean, that's how it's supposed to work And often how it does work, but when it comes to political activists and radical social movements, historically, it's been very, very different, and it's been used for a long time as nothing but a, an information-gathering tool, a fishing expedition, um, and I I generally call it a witch hunt because that's precisely how it operates. With these ag-gag builds, it's a little bit different because, I mean, this is all fairly new. I mean, there have been laws on the books for quite some time that target uh, undercover investigators and environmentalists with special um, criminal sentences. But we now have two laws on the books in Iowa and in Utah as part of these ag-gag efforts. And we'll have to see how this all plays out. I mean, I I think some of these attempts are clearly uh, going to be struck down if they ever... challenge. Uh, In Iowa, the attorney general in the state actually was involved in helping to make it a little bit more narrowly tailored. So that might stand a little bit more scrutiny, but I, I don't see how it can.
0: And how come, I guess, I mean, there's certain things that are going on and it seems like why doesn't the president, which is, I know that's idealistic to think he would intervene, but, I mean, why, Why even like stuff in New York City with the uh, stop and frisk thing that the cops can do, it's like, how come the president just doesn't, who is an African American, go, you can't do that anymore? Because it is, a, it's racial profiling, and they have, is that, I mean, I know that's idealistic, but its it's boggling to me that somebody on a higher level isn't, standing up against this or do they not give a shit or they're
1: just well i I think there are a couple answers i mean i think part of it is it it shows how institutionalized all these policies have been i mean especially with these anti-terrorism efforts they've really become business as usual and you know when obama was a senator he, really, he wrote an amazing letter of opposition to one of these uh, so-called eco-terrorism congressional hearings saying many of the things we're saying right now. It's a waste of government resources. It's unconstitutional. It's making people afraid of speaking out. Uh, the FBI should be targeting right-wing violence instead because they've actually murdered people. Um, so he wrote this fantastic letter, but then as president, he hasn't, he hasn't spoken out against this at all and hasn't really... Um, uh-huh done anything on it so i mean i think it's hard to say i I think people they see this political climate and a lot of people in power they don't really want to rock the boat too much um they want to do enough to show that they're in favor of change in whatever small way but ultimately i think it's about kind of maintaining the uh these policies that have been uh, growing over the last over a decade
0: yeah yeah that's how does the groups like neo Nazi neo Nazi groups and and guys who are out there killing abortion doctors like how does that even why is that not considered terrorism as well if
1: it, right it's, I mean in, systemically it's not I mean I actually went through all the FBI terrorism reports uh, up until two thousand five when they stopped creating them and also uh, Homeland Security reports on. Uh, domestic extremism and domestic terrorism, and they consistently leave out right-wing groups, anti-abortion groups, militias, neo-Nazis, the Klan, and I think that's a question that's on a lot of people's minds when they learn about this stuff: is how do you justify it? Um, I've talked to former FBI agents and, and current FBI agents that you know nobody really has a good answer. I mean, I think part of my explanation is that there's not a, a profit motive in any of those things. I mean, there's intense corporate pressure on the on law enforcement and on politicians to deliver results against these activists. But when it comes to people who are attacking uh, ethnic minorities or women, there's not that kind of economic pressure.
0: Yeah, because they're not... Uh... They're not able to bribe off senators and give them free trips. <laughs> That's, exactly. A lot of women can't afford to uh, fly senators around the world and get them hookers. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, then we need to organize the people to help get senators hookers, and then we could solve a lot of the problems. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, this clearly has to be the new the uh, <laughs> new activist campaign. I don't think you're going to go very far with it, but. But uh... <laughs> well, at least it's we might get,
0: you know have some good scotch and. Uh, uh, look, I, I, I could, there you go. And I, I couldn't imagine hanging out with senators. It's got to be. I mean, you've. Are, I, I I'm not a guy who ends up around a lot of politicians, but I'm assuming you working in D.C. You're you're kind of in the thick of of that bullshit, right?
1: I I, I try to not be in the thick of the bullshit <laughs> because <it's>, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of uh, advantages of of. Working as a journalist in D.C., and then there's a lot of a lot of the bullshit too. So I, I mean, it, it is useful being here in a lot of ways because either going down for congressional hearings or just uh, meeting up with with lobbyists or with uh, attorneys downtown. I mean, it, it kind of helps being in that network within D.C. But I mean, it is an inside baseball kind of thing, and I think a lot of people don't really understand how how insider. It is. I mean, just even in terms of the, you know, this kind of conveyor belt between Congress and between federal agencies in the private sector. So a lot of these, uh, when we're talking about spying efforts and uh, things like that, a lot of former FBI, CIA, NSA people going to the private sector and work for these kind of third party corporations that are often hired by other corporations to spy on political groups. I mean, that was kind of an amazing thing I saw in the book. This really incestuous uh, nature of Washington.
0: Yeah, it seems like a big high school, and it's because <laughs> yeah. I mean, I interviewed this guy yesterday, and he was telling me that Obama, one of the guys who's like in charge of the FDA, is a former Monsanto executive. And it's like, well, that is... oh, totally. I mean, and that's like, of course, nothing's getting fixed. It's all these guys just hang. It's it's like a big frat house or something.
1: <laughs> I, I think the yeah you know, the frat house analogy is probably the best one I've heard about DC because it is. It's this kind of good old boy network. It's uh you know you just kind of move the chess pieces around, but the game the game never stops. It's the same players moving around to different positions.
0: And it isn't. I mean, it's like that's what cause I'm a big, and I say this all the time on the show, but it's like I'm a big believer in, you know, these. It's amazing to me when people get all crazy over a politician like Obama, where they're like, "He's gonna do make change," and it's like, "No, he's not." It's like, like fucking, it's like go believe in Santa Claus. You have better luck with that. And it's it's so I think like you know, be active and 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 you and influence things with your dollar, and that's how you make change. I mean, I, I interviewed Dan Kavalik, who was one of the guys who sued Coke, and they hurt Coca-Cola sales by 1%, and that made them shit their pants. And, like, then then they started negotiating. It's like, that. that's the only way these fuckers will ever hear anything, is when it comes down to money. Otherwise, good luck. <laughs> it's like...
1: Absolutely. I, I think that's... I mean that really became crystal clear you know researching a lot of this backlash is that that 's the theme between all of these tactics is that they 're against movements that have been incredibly effective. I mean we talked about the Shap campaign um, bringing Huntington near bankruptcy. but look at these undercover investigators I mean frankly, you can get a lot of this undercover video equip- equipment on eBay or on Amazon now for next to nothing. you can produce HD quality video, put it on YouTube. I mean, if Upton Sinclair had this kind of resources, there's no doubt the jungle would have been a YouTube video. I mean, it's just incredible how people can leverage, um, you know, horizontal grassroots organizing to really, like you said, scare the daylights out of some of these corporations. And I think that's what all this is about.
0: Yeah. I mean, the fact that or the quote unquote organic or all, and is such a trend like now that Walmart carries a... I they're one of the biggest suppliers of organic foods in the country now. And it's because people made a f- demand for it, whether it's you know, I the guidelines of organic make me are are questionable to me, especially you know, you got places like Whole Foods who are lying about GMO and they're great. They're a good company. They're against healthcare right. and <laughs> and unions. It's, and unions. It's, it's just uh But uh, ah, oh, fuck balls. I forgot what my point was there. But oh yeah, but uh, that that uh, we can if we do make a demand financially, then these they they jump in line. But
1: uh, well, and it, and I think a big part of right now what's going on right now is the attempt to uh, you know, to really narrow the field of what change is possible. And by that, I mean, you know, everybody's going green. You know, there's this, like you mentioned, this attention on organic foods, on uh, local foods, on sustainable uh, production. And I think there's a real attempt right now by corporations to narrow the field of vision of what people are demanding so that, okay, you know, we'll give you these new products. You know, you can go buy this new thing, but that's it you know, th- th- this is the, the amount of choices that are before you. You can buy this product or this product. And what we're seeing with a lot of these the animal rights and environmental movements is they're trying to blow that wide open and say, no, we need to totally, you know, reconfigure how we're talking about these things. We need to set our standards much higher. Um, and we've certainly seen that with the organic movement over the last couple decades. And, uh, and I think that's part of why this backlash is so severe is that they're trying to turn you know, just greenwash everything and to really wipe out anyone who's trying to do some meaningful change.
0: Yeah, I mean, they even hire PR firms to... Because it is, it's is—it's weird, like, if you're an environmentalist or you're an animal rights activist, or if you eat organic or vegetarian, or, and people react to it very... Str- like, they react very strangely. <laughs> and it's like, right. I've been, like, struggling and and working towards... Cutting out meat and stuff out of my diet, and people would be like, "Why? What are you a fucking hippie?" And it's like, what? it's like, why? Why is that a bad? Like, why is it a bad thing that I don't want to put cancer food in my face? Like, it's like, and it, <laughs> well, I think, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say you know, we're both uh, too polite. Yes, yeah, yeah, he's like.
1: <laughs> This this is going to make for a really shitty interview right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When two polite guys talk, it's silence. I
1: was just going to say, it kind of cuts to the heart of the the cultural nature of a lot of this. I mean, it's not just about protest tactics. It's about, you know, changing how we think about the day-to-day choices we make. In a lot of ways, those are perceived as a lot more radical than, you know, Vandalizing a an ATM or something like that. I mean, you can get you can get worse looks if you go into an office party and you know you're the one vegan or vegetarian or you know you're the guy who rides his bike to work versus taking the SUV or whatever. I mean, you can, you can get just as ostracized.
0: Yeah, you're you're a dick if you do these things. It's like, why am I the dick? <laughs> it's like, how <where> does <laughs> this mentality come about? It's it's completely. Even if, like, and I've got a big political mouth, and, like, my, I had a conversation with some friends the other day, and they were, we were having brunch, and they were, like, talking about feeding their kids shitty, like, if, when they have kids, they're gonna feed them, like, cocoa puffs. And I was, like, w- why? And they're, like, well, you gotta let your kids have that stuff. And I was, like, why? Like, who says we gotta do that? And they got pissed <laughs> off at me. because I'm, I'm, like, but why? Like, can't we, I question this? Like, isn't that healthy?
1: Don't take away
0: my cocoa puffs! Like, <laughs> how dare you? It's the yeah. worst thing you could put in your body, is an, At any age, but like a kid who's still developing, just flood them with sugar. It's it's absurd to me, but whatever. Um, and also, I wanted to t- talk to you too because you were you are now an independent journalist, which is and but you were you were part of that uh, part of that system, and you worked for the tribune which is uh, for starters they're kind of republican i mean they support republican presidents they always say i'm from chicago by the way yeah it's a pretty conservative paper yeah and I, I mean you touch upon that in your book about being frustrated with you didn't want to be you know that shithead reporter who just writes you know and asks the dumb questions and I, i'm just curious like what about the that Specific, not just specifically the tribune but like that sort of journalism that is got to you i, I mean i uh, it is it's got to be a frustrating uh structure there.
1: yeah and uh, i mean even going into it um you know doing internships at the the Dallas morning news and you know everything you know before and after um you know, I went into it knowing that I was already having problems with this. Like, it, it, you know, the state of the newspaper industry was just in, in total flux. You know, reporting positions were being downsized. Investigative reporting positions were really non-existent. And I was seeing all of these kind of disappear really before my eyes. And then at the same time, uh, reporters were being asked to do more with even fewer resources and time to do their work so sometimes you can walk in and if you're like me just a general assignment uh, employee end up doing two or three stories a day just cranking stuff out and that can make you learn how to do uh, how to write very quickly and how to report really quickly which is great but I mean, hey, journalists have to be able to do more than that to, to fulfill the role of media in a democracy i mean you have to be able to have some people that can step back and do investigative reporting, ask some really tough questions. And there just wasn't a climate for that. Um, so I mean, after Tribune, I went back to Texas briefly, and then I went up to TC to, to work at the Chronicle of Higher Education. I was covering Congress. Um, you know, still, I liked it there a lot, but I jumped ship and tried to freelance and, you know, ended up really just failing miserably at that. And then, uh, ended up working at the uh, ACLU. I mean, that's kind of how I, I was like, well, you know, I guess I'm going to be a turncoat here, and I went to do some some PR at the ACLU, and really felt like I was having a much more positive impact through, you know, writing skills or research skills than I ever was doing in a, a newspaper.
0: I would imagine, like, when one wants to be a journalist, it's... Like anything, you probably might be a little idealistic, and you think, "Hey, I'm gonna, you know, because you, you, everyone always points to Watergate and that, and you know, like, yes, journalism works, but it's like, how many of those things get squashed? I mean, is that?
1: Oh yeah, i mean, and shit. That was forty years ago. I mean, come on, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's still the no, one we haven't. <laughs> it's still the one thing. I mean, there's been plenty of like really impressive uh, reporting that that still is going on, but it's dwindling. I mean, and, and I think we see that. And newspapers sometimes don't even have a newspaper anymore because they've closed. I mean, the entire industry is really in in turmoil, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But I think part of it is. Uh, this kind of myopic view of how newspapers and magazines should be. I mean this kind of rigid uh repetition of no, we don't have any viewpoint. We have we have no perspective whatsoever. We have no bias whatsoever. And it's total nonsense. And you see this and it's just really suffocating to work in those environments where every journalist there understands it's nonsense. I mean everybody. I mean you have arguments going on in newspapers you know, all the time. You have uh, people with posters on their uh, cubicles, political posters up. Everybody has a viewpoint, but you want to just pretend that none of that exists, and it's really stifling.
0: It's, uh, yeah, it, the 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 falling apart of uh, the newspaper industry is just because pers- always as a kid I. I always liked the concept of the sort of the gruff, drunk, chain smoking journalist, <laughs> and uh, right. I was a big uh, like e- even in elementary school. Like I read Mike Royko every day. I didn't probably understand most of it, but it was. Uh, and I I used to go to the the Billy Goat Tavern just because of that guy. I don't know if you've ever been in there. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's but it, but it's gr- it's great to see things like your blog and there's other um, websites like Counterpunch. And that are doing real stories and kind of going deeper into the into stories or into areas that the newspapers don't even talk about. And it's uh, but you really have to search that shit out nowadays. It's not if you're just like a rube and don't know where to go. It's it takes it takes a little searching. It's not,
1: and, and I think that's the you know the biggest problem for all the benefits of you know being able to share your work online fairly cheaply and through social media and everything else. I mean, it's really dependent on that. Either people searching it out or, you know, you're on Facebook and you happen to have a, a lot of friends who are into, um, the type of stuff I write about and they they post things about it. I mean, other than that, it, you're right. It, it's really hard to get this in front of masses of people. I mean, you can't compete with, um, I mean, CNN is really just a repository for news of the weird right now. I mean, it's just kind of, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's seriously. Like, look at the homepage. It's either crazy cat videos or drunken celebrities, or I mean, if this is the state of our culture right now, like, it's grim. <laughs> like, and so, you know, and so, blogs are the one that are competing that are competing with this, or counterpunch, truth out websites like this, Democracy Now. Um, you just, you
0: can't compete. It's, yeah, even like, it's weird because the Huffington Post, and I like maybe when they started, they were touted as this, like, great source of news. As any time I go on there, it's like immediately to the right is like somebody's, you know, some dude's mugshot with a bunch of silver paint on his face. It's just like, <laughs> just like right. an inch away is like, if you want to just numb your brain for the night and then you get lost and, you know, if you can get lost in that shit, where you're like, "Oh, another," "Oh, there's a pedophile in Ohio." Like you'll just read garbage for an hour.
1: <laughs> it's, always, I mean, it's just they like taunting you, right? Yeah, it's like you know, just just click on the celebrity beach bikini pictures. Like it's just right there. You don't want to read about
0: terrorism. Yeah, <laughs> and as a as a as a a guy who's not having a lot of sex right now, if I see a girl in a bikini, I tend to, my eye, it's like, it's like, I mean, but it's like, and I I consider myself a guy with discipline who reads a lot of stuff, but it's like, sometimes you're just like, oh, dumb stuff. It's, (laughs) totally. But it's like, it's like, you know, I I feel like shaking uh, uh, Andre, uh, what's her name, Huffington, and be like, hey, man, you're fucking part of the problem now. You're not helping anything.
1: Way, it kind of raises some interesting questions, too, because I think the Huffington Post started to do that to try to be sustainable, you know, for advertising and all that other stuff, to, to actually try to make some money. Um, like, well, is that the only way to do it now? I mean, do you, do you have
0: to go there to try to actually be sustainable? Right. I mean, do you still work at, I mean, at the ACLU or are you completely independently sustainable now?
1: I'm definitely not independently sustainable. I still have, I have a day job, but it's not. I do communications for a uh, for a nonprofit that's not related to any of this stuff. I mean, it's an ongoing. You know, I feel bad for my friends because it, it's just a constant topic of conversation of like, what the hell am I doing? Like, how do you actually support yourself doing meaningful work? And, I, and I'm sure you deal with all this all the time as well. And everybody who's actually trying to pursue their Craft, but it's a real struggle right now for uh, for journalists because you know either you can work at one of these mainstream outlets and be just run into the ground doing for one of the for the most part fairly meaningless stuff in my opinion, or you can try to sit out on your own and either have a day job or I don't know how people do it. I really don't.
0: Deal weed, coke. I, mean, I I found out recently that even like the the some of the Black Panthers like Huey Newton and those dudes were uh they were like Omar, they were drug house thieves. They would go rob drug dealers and that's how they funded a lot of their 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 stuff. And it's like that came from Wayne Kramer who was in the you know MC5 and the White Panthers and he hung out with those dudes and I'd never heard that before and I was like fuck it's kind of a a bit of a dream crusher because I always but it's also kind of cool too that they were that fucking ballsy it's
1: like <laughs> right <laughs> but it's also like I don't. Know. I don't know if we're tough enough for
0: that. I hate to tell you. <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm a, I'm a, I, sometimes my mouth gets ahead of me and I've said things to people. I'm like, oh, good. Now you're going to get your ass kicked, Dwyer, because you don't know how to defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I I would not. But And that's the thing, too, is like in this climate today, like the Black Panthers would not exist. Probably Malcolm X wouldn't exist. I mean, these guys would be shut down fucking immediately.
1: Well, yeah, and you see the, you know, especially with the rise of some of these militia groups, the ongoing violence against um, Muslim communities. I think that's a, you know, a serious thing to consider. Is how would those groups be responded to right now? And I think it'd be um, kind of bleak. I mean, I think they'd be at minimum met with the exact same tactics or worse, probably a lot worse than we've been seeing with uh, a lot of these other movements.
0: Yeah, and even, like, uh, you linked uh, this article I read this morning, uh, Rolling Stone, is like the FBI is, like, setting up a lot of these people into be- sort of becoming terrorists when they probably normally wouldn't? Is that kind of what the gist of that Rolling Stone article was?
1: Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is a really disturbing tactic that's been used against Muslim communities and really was kind of pioneered there within the FBI after 9-11 of sending in informants um, to infiltrate communities and then to actually try to coax and, and prod people into taking action so that the Bureau can announce that a terrorist plot has been thwarted. And that's been going on for some time now. I mean, Trevor Aronson uh, has a great new book called The Terror Factory that is just kind of a scathing indictment of these practices. He was a, a journalism fellow over it. Um, Berkeley, I believe. And we're seeing the same things happen with other movements now. I mean, with the Occupy movement, this Rolling Stone article was about a group of um, young kids in Cleveland. And the FBI sent in informants and kind of identified these kids as anarchists. Um, You know, they clearly had no... Uh, possibility of doing any of these things on their own but once they met this informant who was really talking them into trying to buy bulletproof vests and to create this plot to blow up a bridge and they had no money so the FBI was supplying them with money supplying them with work supplying them with the contact to allegedly purchase this uh, bomb making materials and every step of the way this informant on the FBI's payroll held their hands and really tried to push them to take action. And it's really I think a really sad and also a pretty scary example of the lengths to which law enforcement is going right now. I mean, these kids are on they're awaiting sentencing and they could face, uh, you know, the rest of their lives in prison as terrorists uh, for their involvement with this informant.
0: And it's see and that's the, and it's the FBI goading them along which is It's fucking mind-boggling how evil that is. (laughs) And and it's like you forget, like... Or maybe you don't forget, I don't know. But, like, when you're 20 and you first sort of discover political ideals and you start... You're discovering who you are and what that means. You get a little carried away with things. And it's like... You get a little bit more impassioned and louder than you probably should sometimes. And it's like now... And here... You know the FBI is manipulating these kids who probably feel like they're doing the right thing, and then bamo, they're you know in prison for life and being knocked the shit out of or whatever goes on in there. You know it's it's terrible, you
1: know, especially when you know these informants are older. You know they're you know kind of have a, the respect of some of these younger kids they're um they kind of show up on the scene they're, they're talking this tough talk they're challenging their commitment and saying you know if you're really radical if you're really committed you know we need to start talking about doing things like this and i think you're right i mean when you when you're 20 it's you can make some really dumb decisions it's uh, especially if someone is there trying to, like, coax you along every step of the way. I mean, I, I kind of cringe even people seeing things I wrote about political stuff when I was 19 or 20. I mean, I, I, you know, it's just you, you go overboard. And not to excuse at all some very stupid decisions that were made um, by some of these people, but I think we have to remember the, the heavy use of these informants, and I don't think any of it would have happened without them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I just, I think back to myself at 20, and, you know, I I didn't grow up in, and same, I'm sure with a lot of these kids who, you know, they're searching for something. I I had a shitty family situation and didn't have, you know, parents around, and it's like, you know, you're seeking out... Family and somebody to be like a father figure, and then you find that, and then the next, you know, it's, and then it's this guy who's manipulating you to do shit that you wouldn't normally think. It's, you know, people, I don't think people take that kind of, they just go, oh, they're fucking terrorists and they're wrong. Like, they don't think of how complicated of a situation it could be. Maybe I'm going too far on that, but I mean, I think of myself. No, I absolutely. It's,
1: uh, <clears throat> well, there's another case out in the, california which i think is a really telling example of all this stuff there was a young woman named anna who was on the fbi payroll and she traveled the country with a group of protesters and all the while she was supplying them with hotels with food Um, she was trying to coerce them into blowing up a bridge excuse me a dam eventually and she was getting really frustrated that they wouldn't do anything i mean the recordings when she was wearing a wire show her just like berating these activists and saying, why don't you get your act together? At one point she was screaming at them, like, it seems like all you want to do is just hang out and talk about politics and smoke pot, like you're not doing anything. Um, And she was just losing her cool about this. Meanwhile, one of these activists actually had some romantic feelings for her. Um, So that is, is part of this, you know, extra layer of, uh, Disturbing behavior going on. And finally, the FBI swooped in, they ended the investigation, and they arrested the, the group on conspiracy. So, conspiracy for talking about these things with an informant who was trying to get them to talk about it. And now, Eric McDavid, one of these environmental activists, is in prison for over 20 years, um, which is just. To, to me, stands out as one of the worst of the worst of these cases. I mean, that's just unconscionable that he's in prison for 20 years uh, for talking about stuff with this informant.
0: If anybody held me accountable for the shit, i say, I'd be doomed. <laughs> I mean, on so many levels. I say so many over-the-top things just out of my own amusement, but if people are like, well, he's really... You know, I, I, I've pointed to the Weather Underground a lot, just kind of jokingly, but I do kind of think they had balls in there, like, it was a, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of impressive some of the shit they did, and it, uh, but it's like, I wouldn't, like, I would myself never go do anything like that, but I I enjoy fantasizing about it. It's, as an would... enter- form of entertainment.
1: Well, not you have the right to. I <laughs> mean, and I think people... <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and I think, you know, I don't, I'm not saying people should fantasize about things, but they should think about them and talk about them. And if you have a strong opinion, I think you should say it um, one way or the other. And I think that's what was going on, not just in this group, but around the country. This is what people do when they care about political issues. You say things, and then your friends tell you, oh, that's stupid, or, oh, that's a great idea. And um, you kind of debate it on a, a theoretical level, but that's what's being criminalized.
0: That's, it's, that's terrifying. And and it's 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 amazing that there's so many people in our country who still have this idea that our go- like we're the good guys. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like the FBI has killed a great number of like they, I mean Fred Hampton example like right right and it's like it's it's perplexing to me that people are just like we are doing the good thing. It's like really. We haven't done the good thing in a long since day one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Especially when you you know, I talk to people about the FBI, there's this deference to whatever the government is doing and I'm like you know, you all understand that during COINTELPRO in the sixties, the actual stated purpose of this program was to neutralize and disrupt People like Martin Luther King and the Black Panthers, right? Like this—this this was in their documentation that this is what they were trying to do. Um, and I think there's still this, like, amnesia. Like even people that were around during the church committee, you know, oh, well, you know, that's over and done with. That's a that's a period of U.S. history that ended. You know, that's all in the past. And I think that's what we try to convince ourselves as a
0: culture. Did they? I mean, it's just more like they just relabeled Cointel Pro and or because i mean it sounds that's exactly what they're doing
1: i i would argue so absolutely and i think it's it's changed i mean a lot of these tactics aren't quite as um you know as overt as some of the things used in cointelpro i mean Pro did things like spreading rumors between um planting false information between groups uh assassination attempts and a lot of that stuff You know, I do have evidence of going on now and some of it I don't, but I think that kind of misses the bigger point about the the parallels between all of it. I mean, one of these FBI files we obtained shows a a discussion from an undercover agent about the possibility of planting rumors in activist movements as a possibility to uh, discredit activists. And that's a language straight out of COINTELPRO. I mean, it's like copied and pasted from what happened then.
0: Yeah, and you even look at, like, the situation with Julian Assange, and it's like, in an era where maybe it's a little bit more difficult to take somebody out and, you know, like, kill them, it's like, label somebody a rapist, that's gonna, that sticks, man, that doesn't go away.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, without, I know that's a really controversial issue, but I think that, you know, has to be part of the discussion about all of this is, um, you know, the disproportionate crackdowns on people accused of being um, whistleblowers and, and leaking information. I mean, what's going on right now with uh, uh, in the WikiLeaks case is I think it's pretty outrageous.
0: Yeah, it's and it's, again, Obama he said he was going to make it easier for whistleblowers and support that, and it's like Biden calls Assange a terrorist, again, a terrorist, just using that fucking word. <laughs> it's like, he's. I'm like, he published shit, that the New York Times published. Why are they not terrorists? Why are they not being sought? You know, it's an interesting uh, qu- question to ask. And th- I mean, that video—it's like, are you going to bust everybody who uploads a video? And it's like they want to charge him with conspiracy. You have to be—he didn't commit to conspiracy. He's not from this country.
1: It's right. Well, and, and I think that's a big part of it too. Like with the example you gave about the. The New York Times. I mean, the same thing goes for these undercover investigators and these uh, these gag bills we were talking about. I mean, the Washington Post is never going to be prosecuted. It's but the point is to make the activists afraid, the people who are carrying these things out afraid, um, and have this disproportionate crackdown on them, and you know, let everyone else think it's just everything's going along
0: fine. Ugh, we live in dark times, man. <laughs> but um there was one sort of thing i wanted to ask you on a, a person for my own personal thing and uh uh you said you grew to loathe chicago and i don't I'm... <laughs> believe me i don't i'm not like hey motherfucker that's my town Just, there's a lot of great elements of that city but there is it. there is that Michigan State jarhead frat guy climate in Chicago that's just I mean oh boy is it awful but <laughs> I was just curious was it because of the FBI situation you grew to loathe Chicago or was it the fucking frat head jarhead you know, it, I mean, it was, yeah
1: I mean it was the stuff with the FBI that caused a lot of problems the, you know the arrest the uh like when they girlfriend at the time when we were leaving town after we decided to go back to Texas for a variety of reasons. The, uh, like we're driving out, we've got all of our stuff packed in the few hall trailer, right? We've got our bicycles on the back. We've got her car pulling it. And like we literally, both of us look at each other and kind of breathe this slight sigh of relief. We're like, all right, we're on our way. It's like, this is in the past. And literally, dude, as, as soon as we do that, we go through an intersection, and this guy runs a red light and just smashes into us and destroys everything we own. Oh, <laughs> so my like God. So it's just like, you know, that for a long time, that's how I associated, you know, Chicago. It's like we could not. Catch a break. It's just like it was ridiculous how bad <laughs> the string of luck was. But I, I've been back since then in the last couple of years for some speaking events in particular. And I had a great time. I mean, I, I really do like the town quite a bit now. Well, that's a um, like fun drinking
0: it. And I want you to know that guy that hit you, your car, FBI.
1: <laughs> don't, don't, Probably. Don't, don't. You're not getting anywhere, buddy.
0: <laughs> oh, you think he got away? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, if 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 you like drinky drink times, Chicago surely is one of the better towns for that because you can't you can throw a rock and hit a bar like it's amazing.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and everyone was just like, I thought it was a good mix of uh, you know people are actually still nice. I mean, it's a major city and people will talk to you and not be assholes. I mean, it's hard to get that on the East Coast and you know I haven't spent a whole lot of time out in California, but I wager it's a bit of the same
0: sometimes. I, LA can be a little weird. Uh I, I like to do a lot of walking and I think and then if I say hi to somebody it's like if you say hi to somebody on the street their initial thought is I'm getting mugged. <laughs> it's like because no one <laughs> walks so it's like you're I'm just by walking I'm a weirdo. <laughs> um I I I want to thank you very much for your time Will and if if there are uh if if you could plug your websites, that would and anything else you would like, this would you please do so at this moment?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the the show, Matt. I, I listened to some of your other podcasts as well, and I'm definitely a big fan now. And if people want to check out the uh, the work that I do, my website is red dot com. That's all one word: green is the new red. In my Book is by the same name, uh, Green is New Red, and Insider's Account of a Social Movement Under Siege, and you can get that all over the place.
0: Yeah, and I want to say that um, not only is it a very informative book, but it's an extremely well written book. You're a great writer; like I really enjoy your style. And that was oh, thanks very much. Yeah, that was one of the first things that jumped out about at, at me immediately because I read a lot of political hoodly do, and rarely is it also entertaining to read it's like sometimes you want to you know it's like being hit in the head with something so it's really well written and it's a really there's like really fun moments and there's but it's all really important stuff so I and I've been since I've been reading it I've been telling everybody to read it and I've been telling everybody about it because I think it's a subject matter that a lot of people aren't aware of and they really need to be aware of it
1: well, thank you. sir. I mean, that's really the best compliment I can get about the book. And, and, you know, I went into the project trying to to write about these things in that way because I, you know, and for that reason, I think, you know, this is these are issues that really affect everybody. And I think I hope the book is written in a way that can kind of cut through a lot of the typical um, political clicks and and appeal to people who are just interested in the story behind it,
0: too. Yeah, it's a great story. And uh, do you have any books in the works, or are you...
1: Um, yes, but not something I can really talk about right now. And I say that because in my, it might totally end horribly. <laughs> <laughs> and, then this, and then this podcast will be on the internet, you know, just pod to me forever. forever. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have some other stuff in the works.
0: So. I'd look forward to that. And you have a Twitter as well that people should follow you on so they can get,
1: right? Absolutely. And it's just, uh, my name, Will underscore Potter.
0: And, uh, I should... Tell you, I'm legally uh, obliged to tell you that I are obligated, (laughs) not obliged. Uh, I am. I work for the FBI, and all of this information. (laughs) I'm kidding. Totally obviously. (laughs) Thank you very much. That was uh, conversations with Matt Dwyer. I didn't lie, did I? It was a great conversation because I deliver great conversations. Uh, i don 't do a lot of things great in life, but I do feel like I sometimes do that well but i 've had a few decades of practicing how to talk so <laughs> um, if you'd like to show uh, you can uh, donate to us at there at the feralaudio.com website you can uh, You can donate me some money there uh, or us actually because it helps keep uh, this uh, website running and keeps Dustin Marshall, the great Dustin Marshall uh, food in his belly so he could edit these things and and if you can 't afford to donate money. Uh, buy something through my uh, Amazon link there, and uh, I get a kickback of that. So that, that helps out. And then I'm able to uh, put some gas in my car or pay my, my internet bill so I could call these people. Um, also, uh, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer at uh, the old Twitter there. Or you could email me, too, at uh, conversationswithdwyer at Gmail if you have anybody you think should be on the show. I'd be uh, always open for... Finding interesting, cool, awesome people, and uh, peruse that feralaudio.com website and listen to some of the other shows there. They're they're really great, and uh, I just want to uh, thank you for listening today. And um, power to the people!